Uh, please open up your, your Bibles. Our New Testament lesson comes from Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. This is the word of our God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that comes from the mouth of God. Now please turn uh, to the Old Testament. We're going to be reading Exodus chapter 16, verses 13 through 36. So Exodus 13, sorry, Exodus 16, 13 through 36. So Exodus chapter 16, 13 through the end of the chapter. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, finest frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to another, one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. And they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. But morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as they could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. And on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake. And boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. So they laid it aside until the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And on the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of man in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years until they came to a hospitable land. 
They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now, Nomer is the tenth part of an ephah. Let us, uh, let's pray and ask God to bless this word to us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you have given it to us freely. Lord, we praise you that uh, it is endured throughout generations and that is passed to us. As we come before your word this morning, Father, we ask that you would reveal to us what you want us to know this morning, that you would uh, work in our hearts what you desire us to learn, and that you would also shape us and mold us, uh, that we would become more like Jesus, that we become people of the word, depending upon you more and more. Father, may your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's the worst that could happen? That's a, that's a phrase that uh, my wife has said to me quite a few times when I've been anxious, um, often when I'm running late or when my kids are not sleeping like they should be sleeping. Uh, I hate being late. I, I hate it. I hate being uh, late. I want to be on time, so I get anxious, right? I rush. I'm making everybody else rush. Uh, and then she asks me, what's the worst that could happen? Well, I say, well, uh, I will literally die if we're not there on time. That's what's going to happen. And... And I calm down a little bit, and I remember, no, I'm not going to die. It's, if we're a little late, that's okay. Right? Life goes on. It's not like the end of the world. Uh, and I'm sure you've all felt this kind of anxiety, right? You're going to be late, or something's going wrong, and you're just anxious about it. Um, and, it and it's really a small thing, but it just gets blown up into this big thing in your mind. Um, but have you, have you ever felt deep anxiety? Right? Not just about, like, okay, things... I'm going to be late, or something's going wrong, my kids are being dumb. But deep anxiety. Not about small things, but about big things. Right? You look at our world. You look at our economy. It looks like our economy is going to collapse any minute. Right? It feels like the world is, is hurtling into chaos. There's wars going on uh, that are, sure, they're far away, but how soon is it until it's close? What about our job securities, right? Our, our homes, everything is overpriced. You could lose your job, and if you lose your job, it means you lose your house. Your life could be a train wreck, right? Your marriage could be on the rocks, or, or things are really tense between you and one of your children, or, or you're having a really difficult spiritual time, and you just feel deep anxiety. And the question, what's the worst that could happen? Well, there's actually a, a significant answer to that. The worst that could happen is the economy collapses, I lose my job, I lose my house, I lose my family, everything implodes, and I will actually die. Right? It's, it's overwhelming. No matter how much time and effort you seem to spend, you can never catch up. Right? You, you feel like you're always behind. And the more that you try to do, the, the, the more you feel like you're behind. And what makes it worse is you look at other people, right? You look at other families, you look at what other people are doing, and it seems like they've got it all together. You feel like, well, we're living pay to ch paycheck to paycheck, but how come they're like so financially secure and we're not? How come their kids are great and mine aren't? How come their marriage looks like it's super healthy and mine's, and mine's on the rocks? Or how come he has all these amazing things and I don't? How come she looks so put together and I feel like I'm a wreck and I'm a mess? We feel like we're barely surviving day by day. And it feels like just one more, if there's one more problem, one more straw on the camel's back, it's going to break. 
all of these anxieties and questions and the things that, that we feel, they have an answer. Uh, it's just not the answer that we want to hear. And we'll hear that answer today in Exodus 16. So the answer to all of our anxieties, all of our worries, and all of our problems and troubles is this. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because the reality is that anxiety is not caused by circumstances. We think it is, right? Well, I'm anxious because of this. Here's all these things happening. That's making me anxious. The reality is, no matter your circumstances, anxiety comes from within, not from outside of you. Because anxiety is an attempt to control the uncontrollable. It's a response to feeling out of control, and so you try to control your life. It's, it's fear, and really, it's unbelief. So the answer to anxiety is not a change of circumstances. That's what we want to hear. The answer to anxiety is that we're living by the wrong word. Man does not live by bread. Man lives by God's word. And that's what the Lord is teaching Israel and us this morning in our passage. You do not live by bread alone. You live by the word of God. And we'll see this in the daily gathering. We'll see this in the command to cease on the Sabbath and in the keeping a reminder throughout the generations. So the first way that Israel is going to learn that they do not live by bread alone is that they're going to gather the manna daily. So in this story of Exodus, right, Israel has come out of Egypt, they've come through the Red Sea, uh, and they're on the way to Sinai. Right? They're in the wilderness, they're traveling, they're going towards Sinai, uh, but they don't have food. Right? They don't have a lot of food. They didn't have time to pack provisions. And so they are complaining to God, saying, well, God, we're hungry. What's, what are you going to do? Uh, and the Lord, in response, promises to send quail and manna to feed Israel. Uh, but what happened in the previous passage that we didn't read this morning, but even as God promised to fill Israel with bread, he at the same time revealed his glory. Uh, which was an anticipation. It was the Lord saying, I'm going to give you bread, but what this, is, this bread is supposed to point you to me. The bread is supposed to point you to me. Because God, as we learn in the New Testament, Jesus, really, is the bread of life that has come down from heaven. And that those who feed on Christ never go hungry. But what the Lord also said in verse 4 of our chapter is that the bread that he was giving was also a test. This was not a multiple choice where you got to get the right answer or, you know, God's going to smite you. This kind of test is, is a test that stretches you, that tests whether or not you'll believe and have faith and trust God. It's to stretch your faith. It's to, to grow you and to make you stronger in your faith. Will Israel grow stronger through the bread or not? Will they learn the lesson. And so in verse 14 of our chapter, uh, this, this uh, dew comes up on the ground, and when it's, the dew is all gone, right, you see the, they see on the face of the wilderness this fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And Israel says, they see it in verse 15, and they say, well, what's, what's this? What is it? Uh, and in Hebrew, what is it? If you want to say, what is it in Hebrew, you say manna. 
So that's where we get the name manna from. It's because the Israelites were like, what's this? Uh, and Moses says to them in verses 15 and 16, this is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. So in the Lord's amazing grace to his people, he provides a bread that no one had ever seen right, on earth before. This, this what is it stuff, this manna, is, it's not earthly bread. Right? That's clear. And there's no lack of it. Right? There's, there's plenty for everyone. Everyone's to gather as much as they want, as much as they can. Uh, it's like Golden Corral, but without the salmonella. Uh, and this, this heavenly bread, it doesn't work like earthly bread. Right? The rules for it are different. Verses 16 and 18. You shall take each an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. And they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. So for every person in your tent, you gather an omer, which is roughly three and a half pounds or so. Uh, but the text also says that some people gathered more and some gathered less. And yet, everyone had exactly enough for the day. Even though some people gathered more, some gathered less, nobody had too much, nobody had too little. But everyone had exactly enough. And so in verses 19 through 20, Moses says to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it over to the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So, so why did some people leave some of the bread over until the morning? Right, we just learned that nobody had too much, nobody had too little, which means that if you were to leave some over till the morning, that means you didn't eat as much as you could have eaten. That means that you intentionally left some for tomorrow. Right? This is not, well, we packed it in, but there's leftovers. No, there were no leftovers. This is an intentional decision and choice to not eat as much as you could, but to ration the bread and leave some until tomorrow. Why? Because they wanted to store up extra just in case God didn't send it tomorrow. They did not trust the Lord's word. So they tried to control tomorrow by storing up today. But the manna doesn't let them. The rules for this bread are different. As if you try to store it up, it gets rotten. And there's a reason for that. The Lord did this intentionally because the Lord knew that if Israel were able to store up for themselves, they would then trust their storehouses and not trust his word. That he knew that his promise to send it every day would not be enough for them, but they, in their anxiety, would store it for themselves because they did not trust his word. Just in case God doesn't love me tomorrow, I'm going to store up today. Excess leads to self-reliance. And that's why the Lord says, 
everyone gathers, but no one gathers in excess. It's always sufficient. It's always enough. Because God wants you and me and everyone to trust his word. That we do not live by bread alone. We live upon the promises of God. We live depending upon the fact that God said he would, and so we believe it. And you can insert any word you want into that statement, right? You do not live by bread alone, you live by the word of God. Insert any word you want instead of bread. You do not live by money alone, you live by the word of God. You do not live by safety alone, you live by the word of God. You do not live by stability and security alone, you live by the word of God. You do not live by your job alone, you live by the word of God. Any word you want. We live believing and resting in God's word. And this is why the Reformation emphasized so much sola scriptura, that God's word is enough. We don't need more than God's word. It's enough. It's sufficient. No, it doesn't tell us everything that has ever happened in the world. It leaves a lot of stuff out. You can't go to it to decide what you're going to have for dinner tonight. But it is enough for you. It is God's manna for you. It is what God has said. This is my word. Trust it, believe it, depend upon it. Because it comes from God. So if you feel like you're running and you're running, you feel anxious, you feel like you're never getting ahead, you feel like your, your life is on the verge of falling apart, uh, you feel like you're barely surviving today, let alone the uncertainty of tomorrow, uh, perhaps the Lord is teaching you uh, that he has given you enough. Perhaps the Lord is teaching you, trust his manna, trust his word, believe his promises. Elsewhere, the Lord says, uh, seek first the kingdom of God, and all the things that you need will be added to you. But seek first God's kingdom. So that's the first way that Israel learns. They do not live by bread alone. They live by the word of God. But there's a second way that they learn this. And it takes this lesson, and it, and it bumps it up a notch. Um, in verse 22 and 23, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. So this is the first time that the word Sabbath shows up in Scripture. Uh, and we identify it uh, as this day of rest. We, you think of the word Sabbath, you think rest, uh, which is not wrong, that's right. But one commentator believes that the literal meaning of the word Sabbath is actually more like cease. Or put it another way, Sabbath means something like stop. It's the day of stop, or the day of ceasing. It's a day to stop. So when Moses is talking to Israel in verse 23, he says, tomorrow is a Sabbath, a Sabbath holy to the Lord. And in response, the people in verse 30, the ESV says the people rested on the seventh day, but what it, what it really says is the people Sabbathed on the seventh day. The people stopped on the seventh day. Well, they stopped what? 
They stopped gathering. They stopped gathering the manna because it didn't show up. So why am I making a big deal out of this? Who cares? Day of rest, day of stopping, what's the difference? Um, well, for it does matter. Because for us, when we think of the word rest, that's a nice connotation, right? That means putting your feet up. That means you take a nice nap. That means you putter around the house. You, you do restful things. You relax. Uh, and that's not quite what the Lord has in mind for Israel in the wilderness. What he's pointing to, what the Lord is pointing to, is that for six days they are to gather food, but on the seventh day they are to stop. Why? Because to stop gathering requires surrender. To stop requires surrender. It requires faith. To cease from your efforts, to cease from your toil, to cease from your anxiety and from your busyness is an act of faith in God. Which means the opposite is true. To continue to work on the Sabbath is an act of anxiety and unbelief. Verses 27 through 28. On the seventh day, some of the people went out together, but they found no manna. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? How long will you refuse to trust me? The Lord commanded a Sabbath, a day of stopping a day of surrender, so that Israel will have to trust God, not just when the manna comes, they'll have to trust God when the manna doesn't come. Right? What happens when the manna doesn't show up? What happens when you look at your life and you don't see manna for a day, for a season, for a time, and it seems like God is not providing for you right that second? What do you do? If you're like me, you freak out. You, you get anxious, you're like, okay, God's abandoned me, it's all, I'm, I'm by myself now. Um, or, you believe. You trust God. You depend upon his word. You depend upon his promises. That the Lord says that he will always provide for you. And if there's a season where he has not given you manna, that means that he gave you enough to last. That he has always given you enough, and he will always give you enough. That's his promise. Right? And it is, it's easy to trust God when, when the man is falling. It's a lot harder to trust God when you go out to gather and there isn't anything. But for Israel, they are forced to stop for a day so that they will learn to live by God's word. That they will learn that they do not live by bread. They live by the word of God. So for us, we have a day where we too stop. A day where we cease from our, our toils and our labors. We stop and we rest and we come to God and we hear his word. And we believe in his word and his promises. This means that when we work on the Sabbath, we, are, we aren't just violating a command. When you work on the Sabbath, it's an act of unbelief not trusting God, not trusting that he'll provide for you. And you may say, right, well, my job scheduled me on a Sunday. What am I supposed to do? If I don't go, I'll lose my job. What do you do? God has told you to stop, to depend upon him, 
to trust his word. So I ask you, what's the worst that could happen if you don't work today? What's the worst that could happen if you decide to, in faith, trust God in your everyday life? You may say, well, I could lose my job, I could lose my hours, I could lose my house. Things are so tight right now, I don't know if I could afford to stop working. But think about this. If God could provide magical frost bread uh, in the desert for 40 years for hundreds of thousands of people, which if my math is right, that's about 28 billion pounds of manna. If God can do that, do you really think he can't provide for you? You really think he can't take care of your daily needs? He can, and he will. Or to put it another way, this is Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? This is the words of our Lord. Trust them and live by them. Live by the words of God. And one more point to drive it home. The last few verses from 32 through 36, the Lord commands that an omer of manna be kept throughout the generations, uh, quote, so that you may see the bread which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord wanted future generations who were living in the land of excess, living in the land flowing with milk and honey, he wanted them to see the bread that he fed Israel and to remember that they do not live by bread and milk and honey alone. They live by the word of God. And so God gives them something visible, something to look at and to, and to hold on to, to remind themselves, to remember that we do not live by bread. We live by the word of God. Uh, and we have something similar today. God has given us something like this today. He's given us bread and wine, something that we can hold up and look to and remember we do not live by bread. We live by the word of God who came and became flesh and who died for our sins and who rose again. We live in faith in God's word, in Christ. We live by the promise that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you confess your sins, your sins are forgiven, and you have eternal life. That's what the supper proclaims. You're a sinner. You cannot handle your life. But Jesus died in your place. He was crucified for your sins. He stopped on the Sabbath. Christ lay still on the Sabbath day. He rested and stopped from all of his labors because, as he said on the cross, it is finished. The work of God is finished. So, on the day of Christ's resurrection, we come too. We cease and stop from our labors. We come to his table. Come to the table that Jesus has prepared for you. Not to feed your belly, but to feed your soul. To remind yourself, you do not live by bread. You live by the word of God. Let us pray and give thanks.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have taught us how to to look at your word, not as uh, optional. This is what we need, Lord. We need your word. We do not live any other way. Lord, please forgive us for when we, in anxiety, tried to control our life and live uh, by a different word, when we try to live by bread or by our own works. Have mercy on us, Lord. And thank you that you have, that you have given us your son who died on the cross for us and who is presented before us in your word and sacraments so that we might see, taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray.